Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. <laughs> oh, it's the theories. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. And I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. You remember Antoine Rockamora, half black, half Samoan, used to call him Tony Rocky Howard? Yeah, maybe fat, right? I wouldn't go so far as to call the brother fat. I mean, he got a weight problem. What's the nigga gonna do? He's Samoan. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. What about him? Well, Marcellus fucked him up good. Word around the campfire is it was on account of Marcellus Wallace's wife. So what'd he do, fucker? No, 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 nothing that bad. Well, then what then? Gave her a foot massage. Foot massage? That's it? Mm-hmm. Then what'd Marcellus do? Sent a couple of cats over to his place. They took him out on his patio, threw his ass over the balcony. Nigga fell four stories. Had a little garden down at the bottom, closed in glass like a greenhouse. Nigga fell through that. Since then, he kind of developed a speech impediment. That's a damn shame. But still, I have to say, you play with matches, you get burned. What do you mean? You don't be giving Marcellus Wallace's new bride a foot massage. You don't think he overreacted? Well, yeah, so I probably didn't expect Marcellus to react the way he did, but he had to expect a reaction. It was a foot massage. A foot massage is nothing. I give my mother a foot massage. It's laying your hands in a familiar way on Marcellus's new wife. I mean, is it, is it as bad as eating her pussy out? No. It was the same fucking ballpark. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. Eating a bitch out and giving a bitch a foot massage ain't even the same fucking thing. It's not. It's the same ballpark. Ain't no fucking ballpark, neither. Now, look. Maybe your method of massage differs from mine. But, you know, touching his wife's feet and sticking your tongue in the holiest of holies ain't the same fucking ballpark. It ain't the same league. It ain't even the same fucking sport. Look, foot massages don't mean shit. Have you ever given a foot massage? <laughs> don't be telling me about foot massages. I'm the foot fucking master. You giving a lot of them? Shit, yeah. Got my technique down and everything. I don't be tickling or nothing. Would you give a guy a foot massage? Fuck you. You give him a lot. Fuck you. So, uh, Tamler, before we talk about why I played, well, why we played this uh, brilliant. Yeah, you want to take all the credit for it? That's yeah. Funny. Well, I mean, you know, I just it's my movie. It's, but before we talk about why we played, we played it. I wanted to thank people, really, really nice people who left us uh, reviews or rated our show on iTunes, and uh, one right. review. 
Yeah, one review. Let me read this review, actually. And we do appreciate it. We have nine ratings. I don't know. Have you done any of these ratings yourself? I, I have not. I have not. I have honor, my friend. I, I, I may or may not have done one. <laughs> I, I hope that if you did one, you gave us like four stars, you know, to be to, – to, to, at least so that we have aspirations. Come on. Right. Uh, no, we have, a, we have an average rating of five stars, so yes. we appreciate that. Um, Your mom, my mom. Uh, my mom's dead. But it's very painful even to think about it. So the let me let me read this review though because uh, as you say it's it's very nice. It's and it's from uh, actually a former student of mine uh, that I had I think about maybe three years ago, two or two or three years ago. I recently listened to Very Bad Wizard after seeing a post about it from my alma mater, the University of Houston. For a semester, Dr. Summers led one of my classes, which led to some frustrating but always interesting debates. Here, it's pretty much the same thing, but with pairing him with someone much more knowledgeable and funnier. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, that's what I want to talk about. <laughs> the conversations you'll find here are insightful, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and forget the substance of the, of the yeah, review. Forget Let's just talk about the, what you took. Uh. Okay. So now you read that, and what do you think? You think, well, that what he means is that you are knowledgeable, more knowledgeable, mu- no, no, sorry, much more knowledgeable <laughs> and funnier than I am. You should save uh, this for your therapist, I, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't even know, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't go to a therapist, but if I did and they asked me which one bothers you more, more much more knowledgeable or funnier, it would be close. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, for so, the record, I, I think that you are funnier and more knowledgeable than, than I am. Oh, that's very sweet. Now, see, this is the problem. Now I'm getting pity. This is like the word. I, I'm getting patronized now by the person who... At first glance, <laughs> might appear like my former student. I mean, my former student. And I remembered him. I said, "Did I do anything to piss him off? Did I, <laughs> did I not give him? A, did, did I not give him a good grade?" Like I really, I, I thought about it, but of course, immediately, like twenty seconds after I read this review, I fired off an email to him. I'm like, "Well, thanks for the review, I guess, but." Uh, do you know how much shit I'm going to get for, <laughs> for much more knowledgeable and funnier? So he emails me back right away. To be fair, maybe he saw pictures of me, and that sort of tainted him uh, in the positive light. He just, <laughs> he, he just felt bad because of your physical deformities, and so he wanted to give you something, right? So, uh, okay, this is what he said, that what he meant, and if you look at it, you can maybe see it. He has a very because special kind he was of talking about that, that allows him he was to talking about the debates, right? He was saying, like, interesting debates. So here, there's the debates, but now, instead of being with us, he's being with someone much more knowledgeable and funnier than us. So at least according to him, what that meant was he is much more knowledgeable, or you are much more knowledgeable and funnier than the, my students that semester uh, <laughs> when we were having the debate with them. Was this was it worth the five minutes for you to to, <laughs> to talk about that? 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, either way, what, I, his... I debated whether I should I, I should even try to justify it because uh, his... it sounds kind of pathetic to even like try to justify it. But then in the end, I couldn't let it go. It's, you know, like I, I, I I'm with you. There's... How, uh, you I, you're much more knowledgeable and funnier than <laughs> I am. No, had he said slightly more, you would have let it just slide. Um, yeah, or even want like uh, with someone just as knowledgeable and <laughs> a little no, no, I probably would still would have had to, um, had to say it. I, you know what I just realized? Here's the thing for my therapist out there: you are my therapist. <laughs> you, the listeners, are my therapist. I realized that it was the funnier part that bothered me. Yeah, I don't care right, because that's more something that you're not confident about, which is understandable. <laughs> Very insecure <laughs> about my, um, my sense of humor. Either way, thank you for leaving. For having taken the time to leave a review, a mean Please review don't. or a nice review, I, I thank you for taking the time. Yeah, just uh, rate it and give us some good reviews, and don't uh, write ambiguous comparisons. <laughs> it was very clear uh, in to the me. following one. If, <laughs> if you, okay, what? Well, I trust that he didn't uh, rile you up enough that you wanted revenge. No, but I did. I did wonder. But I mean, after having listened to this. People who know you will be less likely to to leave you anything that might be construed as. as oh, I'm sending a message. Well, not really, because it's not like throwing a guy out a four story balcony, fucking up the way a, a fella talks. A fella talks. A fella. Talks. Yeah. So, so academics have a different form of revenge. This is uh, we write, we fire off emails forty seconds after reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what's the best we can do if someone if someone angers us? You know what are we gonna do? punch somebody in the face and and i mean i have tenure now but is that is that is punching sort of covered by tenure i know it's a good it's a good question and maybe donkey gonna... punching is but <laughs> sorry <Jesus Christ. laughs> Let's edit that. Yeah, get that drop producer get that drop uh, um so uh, so okay well all right, well, so why did we play the Pulp Fiction? Why did you play the Pulp yeah, Fiction? Yeah, because play? I'm okay. funnier and more And make this, yeah, make um, this really <laughs> funny and knowledgeable. The, uh, well, we weren't done with Revenge. So this is Revenge Part 2, Episode 5. We're very proud uh, to have crossed into, you know, we finished a finger. We've completed a finger, a hand's worth of episodes. Um, and in Episode 5, we realized after our attempt at recording a podcast on revenge last time that we had a lot more to say. I think this is, it's fair to say that this is one of our favorite topics. It's what I, if you could say, name one thing you want to focus on and talk about for the remainder of your career. And it has to be one thing. I would like it to be revenge. Ah, that's great. It's a great topic. And here's why, um, why this scene I think is, is great. Um, guy gives the, the Marcellus Wallace is the, the head of the, whatever the the gang or the mafia um in the movie pulp fiction is and someone gives his wife a foot massage and his response is apparently to throw throw the guy off a four-story window and you know do permanent damage so the debate is whether this is excessive or not and this reminds me and i always want to play this for class but as you know i can't really play this for class every time I, an edited version of this for that would be friend you know freshman friendly would would just be meaningless in, in three seconds long do you not you don't feel like you can play stuff with uh i can like i can play stuff and... with the f word you know or something i think that i can get away with that but this one is just you know sticking yeah. your tongue into the holiest the n-word yeah exactly oh, there's just all God. there's yeah, every level of discomfort up. that that you could imagine um uh, so, uh, but this, this, 
Seeing gets at something that I think is really an interesting question for uh, just for behavioral science, which is why is it that our drive sometimes to revenge is so excessive? You know, so the argument here is, is why would you do something so horrible in response to a slight that's so minor? For economists, especially, this proves to be a, a very difficult problem, um, given the assumptions that many economists have made. Uh, about about sort of the rationality of human behavior, which is, you know, people who get cheated when they go buy something and they, they feel like they didn't get the right change will do stuff like drive, drive you know, $10 worth of gas back to the store to get a $5, to get $5 back, you know. It, clearly not worth it. Um, in this case, the risk and the just the excessive the excessive violence of the response and in, in the, for re- retaliating for a slight that's so small i mean you could go you could imagine that the that revenge for what you did there would be it would just escalate it's not maybe the because marcellus wallace is marcellus wallace mm-hmm. it, it's not the greatest example of taking risks right. to uh, carry our revenge and he sent over a couple of guys right but 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 the, but the but, fact is that there is people are willing to take right incredible and, and risks. now and now think about an up-and-coming marcellus right exactly. who would have done that to somebody more important than him to send a message um, that's right and, think of you know al pacino and scarface you know j- when he's starting out he will take unbelievable risks to get revenge over even the most minor slights right uh, and and these are in at least in the short term very irrational behaviors and then in this in the pulp fiction scene they're telling the story about marcellus wallace it is the value of this behavior um, is in the story that is told in the signal that you're sending because now when somebody has to talk to marcellus wallace's wife they're going right. to be so afraid that they would never do anything to slight him. They wouldn't cheat him. They wouldn't mess with his wife. They wouldn't do anything because they've heard of the horrible things that he's willing to do um, in retaliation. So I have to admit that, that this insight came, although I would have loved for it to have come from a psychologist. It actually came from an economist, uh, Robert Frank, who's at Cornell University, who wrote, I think, one of my favorite books on emotion, if not my favorite book on emotion, that I highly it recommend. Is, I think it is my favorite I think it book is my, on emotion. mine as well, yeah. Uh, called Passions Within Reason. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great – the scope of the, of the book is just amazing. Um, and it's so it's it's so well written. It's yeah. so it's fun to read. It starts out with the description of the Hatfield McCoys, which is exactly it's sort exactly of what we're talking right. about. And uh, li- I'm lucky enough to be at the same institution as, as Bob – Frank and uh, All right. I've told Let's him stop this. slurping Bob Frank and get to the point. Yeah. So Bob, if you hear this, it, it, <laughs> oh, wait, I already have tenure, <laughs> whatever. I hated the book. Um, uh, so I still love the book. Bob. <laughs> In a nutshell, the theory that Bob Frank lays out is this, this very point that, that um, what looks locally like very irrational behavior is actually rational in the long term that economists are, are making a mistake by viewing this as, as sort of uh, irrational behavior in the sense that in the long term, the person who sends the signal that they are not to be messed with, and anger and revenge is only one instance of signaling. He, it's, it's a broader point that he's making about, all, uh, about a lot of emotional reactions that seem irrational, like a falling in love, is that what, what that's doing is it's sending a genuine signal to other people that hey, I might lose, I might lose control any second now and do something really, really messed up to you, 
And uh, you won't even see it coming because it seems so crazy. Um, or in the case of, of being in love, uh, you know, I communicating that you're deeply in love and you would do anything for the person you're in love with is is a, a, a very valuable, v- valuable signal to send. Right. But it requires, right, uh, these emotions, which he calls commitment devices. Right. The emotions, what they're doing for us, an emotion like anger when it comes to vengeance or uh, outrage or resentment is committing us. It makes it so unbearable not to strike back somehow that it commits us to doing it, which in turn has the function of signaling to other people that it's not in their interest to mess with you right? because you will not think about your short-term interests. You, you won't care. You won't care if, you know, it'll end up right. you being in jail or whatever. You are just going to be so crazy, crazy. The real strength of, of Bob Frank's argument is his, his tying it to signaling theory and evolution uh, and evolutionary theory. If these signals were easy to fake, that is, if you could sort of communicate that you're you're the crazy one or you're willing to do anything uh, without actually ever having to take the risk, then people, everybody would start faking it and sort of posturing. And then that signal would lose value. Like whatever it is that you're doing, um, if it's not genuine, if it's not a genuine reflection of, of your, your willingness to fly off the handle when you're slighted, um, then, then it, it just will lose its signal value. So the signals have to be genuine. And they have to demonstrate that you're truly motivated, that you will really actually go through with your threat. You know, so empty threats or the talk of someone who never really carries out one of those threats is not going to be of any value whatsoever. Which is why those people, it's an object of scorn. Right. You know, exactly. Exactly. That's weakness. That's the truest form. You know, that's just true weakness right there. Uh, He's all talk. He's, He's all talk. Never, right. never going to do anything. I'm doing. He's just going to send off an angry email. <laughs> He's going to jot a, a slightly <laughs> passive aggressive email. Uh, start a podcast. So I think Bob Frank shows that there is value in the local irrationality of these emotions because they really are. Uh, you really have to lose control and become be overcome by these emotions for them to have this this value. And I think that it's just a. a, a brilliant take on it. Steve Pinker has a, a chapter in How the Mind Works um, where he covers this a lot and he calls it the doomsday device. Um, right. Emotions emotions as these doomsday devices. That, and he's here referring to the brilliant Stanley Kubrick film, Dr. Strangelove. Um, and the doomsday device, which is... Everyone should see, if, if you haven't seen If you Dr. haven't, just pa- just stop this and just go just watch Just stop <laughs> this, go watch Dr. Strangelove. Right. And what's wrong with you, seriously? Yeah. You have to sort of also just rethink your life and your choices and your priorities. Yeah, so the doomsday device is, is it's, it's a device that if the U.S. launches a nuclear attack against Soviet Russia, it will automatically launch so many missiles back that it will essentially destroy the world. And including so, Russia. Including Russia. So it's essentially it's supposed to serve as as something that will prevent any sane person from initiating a strike against Russia. But key to the device is that once they turn it on, they have absolutely no control over it. Right. And uh, they in the movie, they forget to actually issue the press release. (laughs) And so so and then the whole as as. 
Peter Sellers playing Doctor Strangelove <laughs> says, the whole point of it is lost if you don't tell the world <laughs> right. that you have it. Right. And, uh, and so the whole point of you being the, the kind of person. love surprise. Right. <laughs> the whole point of you being the kind of person who, who will fly off the handle. The utility in with being no the sort control. of person. With, you will uncontrollably uh, seek revenge if you're slighted. Uh, has no absolutely no utility unless unless people somehow pick up on this. So there are various ways in which you can pick up on on this. One is from direct, directly observing someone else's behavior, or there might be some emotional signals like I see you sort of get get really heated in, in an argument and almost you know give me you give me interpersonal cues that you're that kind of person. Um, but a big one is reputation, and and right. uh, reputation is probably carries carries lots of the weight here. Um, also, I mean, I think a big signaling with just your facial expressions, I think people know when you're really angry and when you're really about to lose it and maybe when you could fight and when you're not. And there's just things you're doing with your body and yeah. your face that you wouldn't be able to fake. I mean, that's a key, right? You yeah. can't fake it or it's very hard to fake. And, and Frank you, exactly, talks about this. Exactly. That it's really it, – it doesn't work unless it's really hard to fake because ideally – what you would do is fake it, but then yep. if, if the chips were really down and you're like, uh-oh, they, they they're call calling bluff. my bluff yeah. and I'm going to lose, then you can get out. But yeah. that so, – so, so there's evolutionary pressure to make these uh, signaling devices. And reputation right. is also hard to fake. Right. Uh, reputation or just – You know, it, actually it, – yeah, no. I think that – and it turns out that, that you know many of these emotional fa facial expressions are, are difficult to, to, to mimic uh, well. So the classic – the, smi the genuine smiles, for instance, are, are hard to mimic, and I, right. I don't know uh, about sort of Erection. people can pose people can pose emotional displays, um, but actually in in sort of real time mimicking the angry uh, gestures. Let me give you an example. This morning I was walking. Um, I'm actually although I'm at Cornell, I'm in Toronto on on leave at the University of Toronto at at, at Rotman. I should maybe yeah, say Yeah, how that. are you liking Canada? You've been, I love uh, it. I don't know. Been, I, it's a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> place. He's been bashing every time I talk to him. <laughs> no, he's no. Just, come on. Got... I'm, I'm now acting like a Canadian would, which is polite right. polite and withdrawn. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds fun. Uh, but I happen to live in one of these neighborhoods that is sort of, uh, for the year I'm, I'm living here, it's, it's one of these neighborhoods that's uh, an up-and-coming neighborhood, let's just say. So when you say up-and-coming, it means there's still a remnant of riffraff left um and i was walking this morning to the subway and there was uh, a young man and woman walking in front of me um they looked like you know they were part of the the pre-gentrifying population uh yeah. the guy the guy had all of the all of the telltale signs of a young urban male um and so i'm walking and Another person wa is walking the other direction, and it's a man, and he walks past them and then past me. And a couple of seconds later, the guy, who was clearly this woman was his girlfriend, uh, turns around, and his entire body language, his look and his posture were signaling, you, I'm going to fuck you up right now. And I saw that and my heart started pounding. It was like, right. it was fight or flight for me. And I was like, why would this Did guy you be shit mad? Yourself? No, no. I was, you know, I, I, I was pulling out Squ my piece. Squ I was pulling out my piece, which in Canada is uh, just a piece of wood. 
Um, <laughs> Billy Club. Uh, so you call the Mounties. <laughs> you call it Dudley yeah. Do Right on the way. It was involuntary reaction on my part. I mean, my heart starts pounding. I start, and then I'm like, what could I have possibly done to this guy to make him so mad at me? And then I realized he was actually looking at the guy who was now past me, who had, who had just passed him, and must have either done something or said something uh, to anger this guy. But this guy had it written all over his face and body. Like he was just, he was ready to just. There was nothing fake about that. And I don't. And know, he was Canadian. He was. He was Canadian, but you know. The, so j- just for our listeners' sake, uh, for some reason, Dave's being very polite about Canada right now. I guess the Canada has rubbed off him yeah, since yeah, yeah. whatever, yesterday when we talked or two days ago. But, uh, it, it, you know, one time when we do a podcast, he, he's going to lose it. There's, and then you're going to hear some entertaining <laughs> things. Uh, I just I have this feeling that there's right beneath the surface of the polite Canadian, there is something just evil lurking there. Just as a nation. And Canadian listeners, feel free to email Tamler. We're going to start a Twitter account, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Rate us on iTunes with yeah. unambiguous praise and, and email or us. blame. Email and us. email us. Verybadwizards yeah. at gmail.com. Now, this is – there are certainly individual differences and cultural differences in, in how accepted this is. We talked last time about uh, about how – you know, in our in our immediate academic circles, this, this is not the sort of violence and vengeance is, is kind of looked down upon. Um, yeah. And, and, and let me just, you know, we don't have the reputation that if you fuck with us, you uh, you're going to pay. Somebody's going to come over to your house and throw you out a four story balcony fucking up the way you talk. And yet so, that doesn't hurt us at all. Right. If anything, it would hurt us to have that reputation. Right. The it definitely depends on what your environment is, and there are certain types of environments where um, having this being able to signal uh, just a predisposition for revenge, no matter what the costs, uh, is a lot more advantageous than in other contexts. Right, right, and I think that the point of of the say the the Bob Frank argument isn't that this is this is always the rational way to go about things merely that it can be understood as adaptive and rational it, rational in that sense in sort of long-term rationality of an organism in your typical human small-scale society which is not to say that nowadays we don't you know there are plenty of things that were adaptive um that nowadays just get us in trouble um yeah however that said there are certain parts of the country and certain segments of society and certainly plenty of other societies where the environment is such where that kind of predisposition and that kind of emotional – I mean it's amazing how emotions can become tuned to to whatever environment you're in. And, and yeah, let's take a break because we've been going for about half hour. And when we come back, a couple of things. We're going to talk about the cultural differences in attitudes about revenge, but then – uh, we're also going to play a clip of an interview that both you and I did in Nosara with Andres Gonzalez, who was a, a local attorney in Costa Rica, whom we met and interviewed while we were there. Hey! 
they come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask for respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder for money. We ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. They're going to suffer then. She suffers. What this scene, I think, points to is, you know, we were talking about the rationality and, and the sort of uh, the adaptive nature of vengeance and anger and and the value that it brings. Uh, but a, a real question has to be asked, like, okay, fine, maybe it is the case that Marcellus Wallace gets some benefit for throwing people out four-story windows. But, you know, as Samuel Jackson points out, this seems excessive. That doesn't seem like justice, you know. And and I started and, out last time. And even time, if yeah. the the foot massage is in the same ballpark as the holiest of holies, uh, it still seems possibly excessive uh, to do what Marcellus Wallace did. In fact, right. that's what they're discussing. They're discussing whether or not that was a proportional response. Right. And just right? because it's strategically good and beneficial doesn't mean that it's in any way right. And that's that's one of the things I love about about Pulp Fiction is you know these are mobsters with minors and in, in moral philosophy and the God, so the Godfather I think illustrates uh, this was Tamler's clip this illustrates it nicely and and if you haven't seen this this particular scene from the Godfather it's one of the opening it's it's is it the very opening yeah it's the yeah, opening yeah, it's the, the wedding opening, scene right, right. and uh, one of the the things in a in a Sicilian wedding is that people can ask favors. Right. of the father of the bride and he's kind of compelled to to grant them if he can right and so this guy has been his his daughter has been beaten um and it almost nearly raped and you know this gets at all our our emotional at uh, yeah. our heartstrings as if you heard episode one uh, but not raped she but not raped uh, she she, she kept her honor she kept her uh, honor right the father has to make that point right right, strongly, right. yeah and he goes into, into uh, among this sort of guests to make his request to the to the Godfather, um, and asks that he kill the the men who did this to his daughter. And the, what's the, the look of? I don't know if it's disgust and contempt or, or something in the look of just disdain that the Godfather gives him. Part of it is because. This guy is asking for such a big favor, and he hasn't actually really even been his a friend to him. Um, but part of it is, this is not justice. You know, you come in here his and ask your daughter is still alive. Your daughter's yeah. alive. You can't kill somebody in retaliation. An eye for an eye. In fact, that was probably the the original purpose behind saying an eye for an eye was not to promote vengeance. It was to prevent people from being excessive just an eye you can't take two eyes you can't take an eye in an ear right you can't take an eye in the penis <laughs> uh, right 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 it doesn't have to map on exactly but it, what it has to be as you were saying proportional right and that's that's my intuition about justice that... yeah i mean it, it's a common intuition that revenge should be proportional there, now often there's a lot of disagreement and also uncertainty about what the proportionate right vengeance response would be right? right i mean if you can't have literally strict the telonic principle or the eye for an eye principle what is the kind of proportional response and this is something and especially in cultures that take revenge very seriously we have to figure out what is the right form of revenge 
based on the offense that was committed, right. uh, especially in those cases where you can't give them exactly, you can't do to them exactly what they did to you. Right, right. Um, so there's a lot of debate, but I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that most people have this notion about justice and revenge, that it has to match the crime. Now, of course, this might go against the strategic role that, that we were talking about earlier on, and I think that... That, and I don't know, uh, Tamler. Has, I don't know if it does. Yeah, I, I actually don't think it does. I mean, in some of the research that I've done on honor cultures, uh, and also talking to some of the honor culture experts that and, I've talked to, and Tamler, there is a. Can I yeah. stop you uh, really quickly? Because uh, I know that you're not going to do this, but but let's let people know the name of your book on on this and and yeah, so they, yeah. So I have a uh, book called Relative Justice, and then I have a paper. I don't even know if you know this, called The Two Faces of Revenge: Moral Responsibility and the Culture of Honor. No, I don't have that. Uh, let's let's put a link. To, we'll put a link. To yeah, we'll those. put a link to that. So um, successful honor cultures or revenge cultures are the ones that really can calibrate their response correctly. Because if you go overboard. Here's the disadvantage from the strategic point of view. If you go overboard in your revenge response, then that's how feuds escalate. And right. they escalate to a point where it's not in your interest short term or long term. So um, a successful honor culture, at least according to William Ian Miller, is one where they have elders in place. A little like Marlon Brando and the God, like Don Corleone, right, who can um, – calibrate the response who are respected enough that they can stop the hot-headed young people and just make the response bad enough so that it's an effective deterrent, uh, deterrent, but not one that's going to cause a kind of escalation that could lead to the destruction of the group. And, you know, the young young people, their emotions govern their lives in, in pretty much every area of life, right? In your yeah, I in mean, love, in, <laughs> in, in, in depression. And, you know, the old people are just a little more well, even keeled and well balanced for the most part. So, but they have to be, they have to have enough power so that the young people will listen to them because right. young people are also stronger and more ambitious. Now, for us, we have this justice system in place. Probably the primary reason why it's not in our interest to be this, uh, to have this crazy fly off the handle disposition for revenge is that there is a, a very systematic and institutionalized third party punishment system in place. Where that's lacking, uh, that is one of, according to the, the, the great Nisbet and Cohen study about our, uh, honor cultures, where that's lacking, this kind of, uh, these kinds of dispositions become that much more valuable. Now, you know, and and it's in these kinds of environments that honor cultures, uh, cultures that are strongly disposed to protect honor and reputation, and never show sign of weakness, and they take signs of weakness as as a great dishonor. And again, it's like a it's like a commitment device in the Bob Frank terms, right? The you have to the short term commitment is you have to defend your honor, and if you don't, you'll be the subject of mockery. No, uh, you'll have almost no chances. Right, to, you'll be taken advantage of in the future. Right, you'll be the sucker. Yeah, and sucker but you won't even get. It's not even that you'll be taken advantage of in the future, although you will. Uh, but you won't. You'll be scorned by your peers. You'll be. You you won't be able to get any women. Uh, right. So you know, when I was in in fourth grade, I'd moved from Miami to California. Uh, there were these kids who were picking on me every day, and every day, man. And and uh, I didn't tell I didn't tell my father about it, but. 
But my mom had noticed that something was wrong, and so I told her. And she told my father uh, that there was there's one kid in particular, Joseph. I'll never forget Joseph. Um, and he, he would just constantly uh, pick on me and, and pretty much challenge me to fight. And my father came and talked to me and said, next time he says anything to you, fight him. And I was shocked, to be honest. I mean, I... Yeah. But that's a good dad. Right. Yeah. So the next day I went and I, and the kids started picking on me and I said, uh, all right, this is fourth grade. Nine, I was nine. Says, all right. I said, let's fight after PE. So after PE, uh, you know, people got all around us and we started, I don't know that either, either of us even landed a good hit. There were some punches thrown and some kicks and then it got broken up. Never did they mess with me again. Never. I mean, and in fact, I became friends with one of his friends after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Even if you come out on the losing end of it, it doesn't things, matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You did it's it. Like, yeah. You stood up to uh, you, Yeah. It's like you get a measure of respect just by being willing to stand up for yourself. Yeah. No, the schoolyard is the, you know, is an honor culture, like a microcosm, right. a it great is. microcosm of an honor culture. And if you're not willing, if you let people uh, stomp all over you, you're just... Uh, you're going to be shunned. You're right. going to be uh, – that's why, you know, it's interesting. My my wife uh, taught for a charter school for kids mostly from very impoverished backgrounds, and they have a zero-tolerance policy for fighting. Mm-hmm. And one of the students that she was very attached to was almost expelled because these kids were picking on him, he, and he was starting to get bullied by people from the football team a little bit. Finally – he took it for a while. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore. And I, and I met this kid. This is a great kid. Yeah. Right. And so he fought back. He got into a fight with them and they almost kicked him out. But I was furious. Right. And I barely know. Him. Right. But I was furious. I was like, no, you have to let a kid stand up for himself if he's getting pushed around at school. Right. Because that's the only way that the kid can regain any measure of self-respect and any measure of respect even uh well i don't know which is more important within the within the school community and if you can just do it i mean but you also see it from their point of view yeah right? it's, it's like a, it's a tough these call, kinds of right? things can turn into like knife fights and gunfights and stuff like that and that's their primary concern which is to to make sure that doesn't happen right so it's a really delicate it balance is, it is but I, I think for. that we need to appreciate the perspective of, of you know what it means in some of these cases uh, to to be able to stand up for yourself and, and retaliate but but yeah it's a really hard call I don't know what I would do I mean it's the one thing I mean zero tolerance policy is a signal and if you make an exception there you are in the same sort of boat right. as like it's your like signal. a commitment yeah exactly and if you if you if you back down from that a, bit, a little bit that's a sign of weakness they did though right. in this case and I think it was the right call and but you know for I don't know the kind of school you went you went to, but definitely for our schools, uh, the, when I grew up, pe- people got into fights. There there was a little bit less of uh, oh, fighting is always bad kind of attitude in my school, right. and there really wasn't much chance for escalation right. into anything worse than that. Yeah, essentially, if I got into a fight, the worst that was going to happen, and this happened. Was I would just get an ass kicking. Yeah. And if not, um, you know, but either way, it was always better. Even if I got, if I was on the losing end of it, it was always better to do it. It's- this is the difference between movie fights. And if you see a real fight and you see somebody really solidly land a punch, right. 
chances are the fight's over because the yep. guy. Was... No, that's right. But and also because you don't want to hurt anybody. No, exactly. Seriously, yeah. and you don't, and they don't want to hurt you seriously right. this, in this kind of context. Right. There's not to say that there's not gang we, violence in these neighborhoods. We have all a sheltered. Right. Yeah. We, we definitely come from a from a sheltered thing, but right. but but you and I are outlier liars in our own community of even thinking that this is a good idea. Yeah. It's, of it's even a... being pro fighting yeah. and pro standing up for yourself rather than it's like your your friend who would want to reason with the person <laughs> called his fiance a cunt. <laughs> I mean, hey, you got to be kidding me, uh, right? Like no. it's 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 not even just this. It's not about the signal you're sending. It, it's about just well, you know, everybody feel free to feel free to. To, to completely diss this guy's fiance or his wife. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> um, when you say honor culture, well, maybe you you've studied this. Say what you mean, but I I, I want to get to the the yeah, sort of surprising. The so, yeah, the surprising. Yeah. I think Tamlin and I got a bit of a surprise, and maybe it's a lesson in in uh, in cultural psychology, which is that t- traditionally Latin American cultures might be considered honor cultures. And I don't know if you want to say something about what what you mean by honor culture. Yeah, well, we've talked about this a little bit already, but honor cultures are cultures where the value of your reputation is exceptionally high, and especially reputation for standing up for yourself, for your family, for the members of your groups, to any sort of threat, insult, or or harm. And for people who don't do that, for people who even hesitate who show any signs of weakness or cowardice, well, they're pretty much screwed. So here's the here's a quote from my book about the Corsican honor cultures from a man named Bousquet. I don't know his first name. Whoever hesitates to revenge himself is the target of the whisperings of his relatives and the insults of strangers who reproach him publicly for his cowardice. In Corsica, the man who has not avenged his father or an assassinated relative or a deceived daughter can no longer appear in public. Nobody speaks to him. He has to remain silent. So the norms of honor cultures merge in these kinds of cultures to motivate people to get past the short-term costs and short-term threat because there still are plenty of short-term costs and plenty of risk, but... The risks of not retaliating, the risks of letting people take advantage of you in that kind of fashion are, are much higher in honor cultures. Here's a, here's a great quote about the Albanian Highlanders from a man named Hasluk. Again, don't know his first name. That uh, a man who was slow to avenge um, an attack he risked finding that other men had contemptuously come to sleep with his wife. So not only if you chicken out, uh, is somebody going to try to come and sleep with your wife, but they're going to try to do it contemptuously. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. So that's, so that's the deal, right? That uh, in honor cultures, these kinds of norms and values are given far greater weight. And, it, and it's a spectrum, of course. Right? It's always a spectrum. It's not like all or nothing depending on whether you live in an honor culture or you don't. Because, you know, it's a, it's a value in any culture, sticking up for yourself. But right. there are certain cultures where if you don't do that, you're done. Right. You are – you're – 
completely shunned and isolated and alienated within the community, and the old women will make fun of him. <laughs> and uh, he's not the man. And, uh, no, <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is I mean, you're you're taking risks by retaliating, but it's worse to right. not retaliate in some of these cultures just uh, based on how you'll be treated. And, so, and maybe here we can distinguish, too, between uh, usually now when we're talking about revenge, we're talking about, as we sort of mentioned in, in the previous episode on revenge, we're talking about personal slights, somebody who's done something to you or someone close to you. Um, or to your group, or to, to your, your group. community. But there's also yeah. this, there's also sort of third-party sort of uh, punishment and, and retaliation. And I don't know if, if honor culture – does that – Well, see, honor culture is right. That is uh, – third-party punishment in honor culture is, is actually a disaster Yeah. because if, if, if third-party punishes the offender, then you have shown weakness, maybe even inadvertently. But you have not shown that you can stand up for yourself. So, for example, uh, in some of the cultures that I studied, like in the Albanian honor cultures or the Montenegrin honor cultures, where there is a third-party punishment, but they the norms of the communities in those cultures is you want to get to them before the police do, right. before the criminal justice system does. Because once the criminal justice system gets to them, that's they they don't regard that as justice anymore. That's like a nuisance. That's like a pain <laughs> in the ass. That means it's going to be harder to get to them. It's going to be harder to get to the people and, and defend your honor. So, you have not defended your honor if a third party – I mean right. you can imagine like somebody, it's like somebody fighting your battles for you. Right, right. 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 You can't. Uh, there was a kid in fourth grade who got picked on a lot, and his response was to pay um, a bigger kid 50 cents a day to be his protector. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, what a misguided, what a poor, poor misguided soul. Uh, <laughs> is you can or even that. worse is if you just go to the principal. Right. right? That's yeah. the, you know, if you go to the principal and say, this oh, guy's yeah, been picking on me. Is, oh, yeah. we have, There's a whole other podcast on tattling, that, that uh, snitching. We should do that. We, we snitching. Really, we Absolutely. Should, yeah. We um, should do an entire podcast. About yeah, that would be okay. Uh, but, but 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 Tamler and I, as we mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts, were in Costa Rica for uh, a week, participated in this program, the Philosophers in Residence in Nosara, Costa Rica, a courtesy of the Harmony Foundation. We'll put a link to that. But while we were there, we got to interview um, a young a young attorney in Nosara, Costa Rica, named Andres Gonzalez, who gave us who who we wanted to interview to really tap into the local notions of justice and revenge and punishment thinking, I think both of us thinking that this was this a, is an honor. This would be a great case in which we could, you know, we could show how, how in Latin America people are much more open to, to excessive punishment and <laughs> or revenge yeah. and retaliation. And we were actually quite surprised. So why don't we play a bit of uh, a bit of that interview? One of the things you talked about yesterday was the povercito. We thought that was very interesting because we don't really have an equivalent of that in the United States. Could you tell us about the pobrecito in uh, Costa Rican culture? Of course, guys. Um, we were talking about yesterday about the, po the pobrecito. It's a very famous uh, way to describe uh, Costa Rican culture. Basically, uh, in Costa Rica, when somebody does something, uh, we justify why he did it. And there's a, oh, poor guy. Uh, he stole these things because he's, he comes from a poor family or his dad was an alcoholic. So probably that's why he's a poor alcoholic. So, oh, pobrecito, he shouldn't get punished. 
So it's one of the cultural things that Costa Rica has buried into, into themselves. And so nobody turns them into the police. Even when they steal from, even when they steal from you, you're not going to turn them into the police. You're just going to let them uh, yeah, get away with it. Unless it's something really bad, people tend to say, Pobrecito, he, he probably needs for the kids, for giving food, for something. So if it's a small thing, like they steal your sandals in here, is very common. Or <laughs> if somebody tried to break in your house just to keep a bottle of guado from your... from bottle of guado is the national alcohol, so on our <laughs> six-pack, they tried to steal from your fridge. So it's like, oh, Pobrecito, he's an alcoholic, so I, don't, I won't say yeah. anything. And everybody knows who the little thieves are around. In fact, you were telling us about somebody who was well known for stealing sandals. Oh and, yeah, Tuanis. Yeah. Tuanis <laughs> was a really character in here because he was a bullfighter. The ones that run around the bull and take the tail of the bull, yeah. even if the bull is really angry. So everybody actually liked him a lot. And he used to steal all the sandals from the beach. Like if you go to the beach, you see people burying their own sandals before going to the water <laughs> with the boards and everything. Because people like Tuanis, but like the whole town knew it. Everybody saw him, and everybody's like, "Oh, so he's a funny guy right. from a bad family." And what is he to? Yeah. So it's not <laughs> as if they, they, they weren't condoning anything he was doing. They still thought it was wrong, and they they would prefer that he didn't do it. But but they had some sense of sympathy. I think it, in America, it's not as if we don't have that sense every once in a while that somebody is from bad. But but it's actually just not very common that that we would accept. We we're more vindictive, I think. Well, there are limits also. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, well, so we should ask how that... the story ends. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, I didn't even yeah. think of that. Yes, right. So tell us about the uh, he came to a sad end, right? Well, the sad end of, 20, uh, of this guy, sorry, his name, he, he was uh, uh, one of the stories says that he was trying to rob in a house actually from foreigners and he was told twice that if he was seen there again, he will, he was going to get a punishment. And we don't know if it's true or not because we actually don't have the information. But one day he appeared dead uh, next to a stick in the uh, beach. So we don't know if he fell down because he also wasn't drugs. Yeah. And he, he fell down and, and hit his head on the stick. Well, there's, <laughs> there were stones around and everything. So right. there's, there's a possibility. Right. Or somebody just was tired of him stealing his flip-flops. and Somebody <laughs> was, was had, had enough, finally. What's yeah. the level of crime that you can commit and still be a pobrecito? What, what's the ceiling, in other words? Sure, yeah. what, what, if someone goes, that if somebody goes beyond it, it's no longer pobrecito. We're either going to turn them in or we're going to uh, take some action. It's a very hard question because, like, as I was telling you yesterday, an ex-president of the country uh, was caught into some deals that supposedly he did wrong things and got some money exchange to left the country for 10 years that the law makes a, an exemption the the penalty prescribes and he came back and now everybody's like oh he came back pobrecito he had to be 10 years out of costa rica he shouldn't receive any punishment right so it's not just and, sort of somebody in poverty raised yeah, or struggling to eat exactly right? so you have the pobrecito in both levels in big thieves or in small thieves uh, of course the, depending on the felony or in, on the on the thing that he does, like if somebody goes and rape a person, he won't yeah. get the porecito at all. Right, right. Probably right. he'll be... <laughs> what about an assault or something like that? If somebody assaulted your brother or, you know, somebody's brother. Uh, That's different. That implies a little bit more of uh, 
I would say violence. Yeah. yeah. Like the Porecito applies more for like those kind of things, like, like the one that jumps into your garden and tries to steal you something yeah. when you're asleep, or Some, like if somebody puts you a knife, it's different. There's it's no non-violent. No, it's no. all it, Pobrecito is for non-violent crimes usually. <clears throat> Basically, yeah. but also the Costa Rican is very, as I was explaining, very very calm, very what we call happy and everything, right. so it's Slow like... Slow to anger. Okay, somebody just robbed me, but I'm not going to put the denuncia, the, 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 not going to put the file on the, the police, right, right, right. because why? Uh, it will take me one hour and I can watch TV in the meantime. <laughs> so it's a mixture of sympathy and laziness. Lazy right? both. Yeah, that's, right. that's the exact, exact thing. Okay, so I think that one of the things, well, I mean, the theme to emerge from this uh, even though we we really tried to to get some good vengeance talk out of of Mr. Gonzalez, uh, he kept talking about the local Costa Rican attitudes toward people who were criminals, and these po were pobrecito. the pobrecito, which is the poor guy, right? And and yeah. he he explains what he meant what he means by that. Um, and this actually surprised us. I mean, if anything, Costa Ricans in general were characterized if we're if we were to believe not only him but other people we talked to um were characterized by a, an over willingness to forgive or, or to look past these slights um yeah i mean who does that even in america uh in some of these cultures these academic cultures that we talk about and sometimes make fun of a little bit but you don't find this kind of general level right. of forgiveness. No, I mean, they get mad. They get, they get mad, right? They just don't, they don't retaliate physically, but, you right. know, they write a scathing uh, satirical piece in the New York Times. <laughs> um, uh, but, but in this case, it really seemed like, and, and, and again, he was talking about the sort of slights that, you know, when somebody, somebody insults you or, or steals from you or, you know, not, not somebody who comes in and rapes or and murders your daughter or something. But, um, but even then, I suspect that there might, <laughs> there might be. I mean, the flip flop guy. Like, you know, you can go too far, right? You, you take right. that one extra pair of flip flops, and you just get <laughs> yeah, you, over you the head and stop the wrong person. Yeah, yeah. Get, but uh, but this this general that was and, the Marcellus Wallace, <laughs> still Marcellus Wallace flip flops. Flip -flops. Uh, yeah. It wasn't even ballpark. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there's uh, Andres actually seemed to believe that part of this was just general laziness that that it would require too much effort um for for them to retaliate but it can't be just that i mean no it, it could it very well be that i mean costa rica in in this, especially in this part is idyllic and so you know you might be less but also they haven't had an army since right. the 40s you know right. they just haven't as you said the u.s is their army the, the u.s army is their army right because... it's not the what's interesting is although it's in Latin America, aside from that, it doesn't have the characteristics and of it's, many it's, honors cultures. It's not only Latin America, it's Central America, like where there's just Central like America. wars no, no. going on to the north and the south, you know. Right, and, 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 and it's this little enclave that's just never had to really defend itself and has been able to and, – and, you know, one of the features of an honor culture um, is that there is – a real threat from the outside that your interest can be harmed. It, you know, the, the Nisbet and Cohen thing about the Southern U S was that these were frontiers people and they were hurt. They were hurting cultures. 
And so right. you take a herding culture. If you go in there, one raid, you take all their animals, and they're done. The whole community is done. They, right. they, they're they're going to die. And so if that if that if there's a this ever present threat of attack from outside a devastating kind of attack again you can come in and you can rob our houses that's not going we're not going to die if you rob our houses but in these cultures if you robbed their property uh they're done that's it they have no way of making a living anymore so so Costa Rica's not like that right. they just don't have this threat they have problems they have serious problems but uh they don't have the standard honor culture problems and so actually when thinking about it later it's not as surprising as i would have thought right right and you know this just goes to show though that that uh that it's it's very easy to sort of lump lump cultures together but but something whatever the cause for this difference was um it was clearly a mistake to have lumped to have lumped Costa Rica in. Uh, no, the poverty. Yeah, they the just, yeah, they broke into my house. They stole a yeah, few things. They stole is... some money, whatever. We're not going to call the police. We're not going to punish him. Right, right. He's I, had a hard he's life. He's had a hard life. Right. And, you know, this is... It's kind of beautiful, actually. We, and, and I think it, here we, we should say, or at least I should say that, that uh, you know, We've talked a lot about how vengeance and, and anger and punitiveness is, is probably evolutionarily adapted response that can be viewed as rational in the long term sense and that is that is you know, kind of cool almost hardwired but right. but that but so is so is this tendency that humans have to to be uh, to be merciful right I mean there is there is just as much literature on Compassion. On compassion and empathy. Empathy. Right. Yeah. And there, there are just as good reasons to have that response. And so what you get is, as you were mentioning before, these environmental sort of differences in the local environment that, that can in, – and in the structure of society and in access to resources, all of the these social things. Social dynamics. Right. And all these, all things, these right. things can 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 have an effect on what which, – which, which one of these tendencies the, the people are going to have. And it just turns out that in Costa Rica, I think that that compassion or laziness, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> seems to it seems compassion seems to speak to them a bit more than than the desire for vengeance. We should probably wrap up soon, but I I want to ask you this question: whether I don't know if you talk about this in your book at all, but there is this sense too that that I have that sometimes. Um, religious belief plays a role in whether or not you're willing to exact vengeance. Uh, and I'm straightforwardly so in some cases where it's just forbidden. Uh, but, but what I mean is that there is a supernatural agent that will take care of this for you. And so, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Uh, right. If you, if you have been insulted or hurt or slighted or whatever, uh, it's not up to you. It's up to God or karma or whatever it is. Um, and I don't know if this is this plays a role in in cultural differences or in individual differences. But do, do you talk about any of the the religious? So okay, uh, no, not in that sense. I mean, I th I talk about religious attitudes towards vengeance. Actually, I want to let me talk say one thing about the Book of Job. No, not the Book of Job. Fuck the Book of Job. <laughs> uh, the 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 rape of Dinah. Or Dina in Genesis. That's is in really your testament. Interesting. What? That's in your testament. You know, that's in my. Yeah, <laughs> that's in the good testament. That's in the. That's before all this like turn the other cheek pussy <laughs> stuff. So there is this story of Dinah 
is raped and kidnapped by this man Shechem from the town of Shechem. The town is named after him. And the question is how to respond. And Jacob, the father, wants to just make a deal. All right, look, you marry her because he ends up kind of falling in love with her. Uh, Shechem does. So, you know, like you give us a bunch of money and property and the brothers are angry that this is happening, but they at least appear to agree. They say, okay, that's fine. But we also want you to convert to Judaism, (laughs) which will require that you circumcise yourself. (laughs) And so they all circumcise themselves because, again, the the king or the, 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 the leader of this town really loves Dinah by the end. And um, so they all circle two days later, they're all in pain because, you know, like they cut off. I love this, like love at first rape. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's beautiful. Uh, So they're all circumcised themselves. They're all a little weak from that and hurting. And then these two brothers, Shimon and and Levi, they just go in and just kill all of them, kill everybody. While they're they're recovering from their their penises are are bloody and bruised. So uh, afterwards, Jacob comes back to to the boys and says, I can't believe you did that. That that was disproportionate. He doesn't say that, but this is going to cause a lot of trouble for us. People are going to shun us. We'll be alienated. And the the brothers just say, like a whore, they should treat our sister. (laughs) That's their response. That's how the chapter in Genesis ends. Like like Uh, a whore, they should treat our sister. And it's really interesting because also in Genesis, it's like, you don't find that many people sticking up for family. Essentially, Abraham just pimps out his wife in Egypt so that he doesn't uh, – so so that the the Pharaoh won't kill him. Right. Uh, well, there's, of course, the Jacob and Esau uh, – not sorry. The, the, there's their fight. There's Cain and Abel. There's Abraham almost slitting open Isaac's throat just because God right. might have told him to. And, and it was – I remember just thinking. I remember saying this to my class. Like it was a relief. To get to some place where somebody just stuck up for a member of their family. Now we can debate whether their response was proportionate. So it's when, when Adam tries to, when Eve tries to, to when Adam blames Eve for the fall. You know, I mean, it's yeah, just everybody. Just... It's just a history of selling out your family, really. <laughs> Abraham exactly. pimping out his half-sister or yeah. whatever. Sarah so here was. we have two brothers that are just going to say, no, you can't rape and kidnap our sister. Sorry. You're, we're going to, like, make you cut off your own dick. But he loved uh, her. <laughs> After the rape. All right. But that's not really your question. So uh, the the question, I, I don't get the sense that that stuff, once it becomes apparent that there is no cosmic justice, <laughs> even in right. the short term, like, I, I, do you get the sense that Christians, even very believing Christ, uh, Christians who, you know, they love Jesus, they, they turn the other cheek and all that, they don't seem any less vengeful they just find other reasons to justify their I, I, natural feelings of revenge but but you uh, know more about that well Christian i i mean and today. maybe we can leave it at that but i think that that uh that the religious beliefs of of gandhi and of martin luther uh, king really had a lot to do with their uh you know and this was the tension between martin luther king and and malcolm, malcolm x. x who you know martin luther king being the good christian that he was and malcolm x being the good muslim that he was uh, had very very different views about what ought to be done, and you know it turns out that that the, the non nonviolent protesting uh, became effective, uh, an, an effective strategy both for for Gandhi and for Martin Luther King. And fair uh, enough, yeah. yeah. So and I do actually get the sense. I mean, I I get the sense that 
Martin Luther King is a bit of an outlier uh, in terms of the Christian attitude, but again, I know nothing. I'm talking out of my I, I mean, here. but well, I get I, the sense that Gandhi is less of an outlier within that tradition. Right, right. I mean, in India is is also one of those countries that has not been at war. Uh, you know, Kashmir is just a skirmish, I guess. Um, but <laughs> but you know, but you realize you're just jinxed. You just jinxed <laughs> that. There's going to be a nuclear war right now between Pakistan and yeah. India. Yeah. Um, nice job. Uh, I I it's should say that Martin Luther like King embodies the people. ideal. For the Christian, but I, yeah. I think it, you're right in that, and that sometimes it's, you know, when we look at the, the greatest acts of vengeance, chances are, chances are they were Christian just because of the role that Christians have played in, in Western history. Um, but, but yeah, it's, you know, humans are humans, but I think that every once in a while, uh, maybe a true belief in this, in this sort of God will, God will settle the score. Uh, <laughs> but then you got the, the. You know, it does provide a lot of comfort, I think. What's that? Uh, I, I think it provides comfort for yeah. people. I will say that in cases where, especially I guess when you this can't. was sort of Nietzsche's point, right? right. In, in, in cases where you can't right. get revenge, it provides comfort that it'll happen at right. some point. All right. right. Well, uh, so we have a lot to talk about next time, but thank you for joining us. And for our next episode, well, let's do utilitarians or psychopaths. What do you think about that? Uh, that sounds great. All right. Uh, Join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. To listen to more episodes of Very Bad Wizards, to find out how to subscribe to our podcast, and to find episode notes, including links and extra information, please visit our website at www.verybadwizards.com. And if you like us, please remember to give us a rating and maybe leave some comments on our iTunes website. Just a very bad wizard.